official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. register and they had me put them down on the floor so I could like browse and I found the book and I looked at it and my heart sunk because it was $27. It's hardcover. Um, it was beyond my budget and um, and I asked the cashier, I said, is this coming out in soft cover? Is it out in soft cover? And, it's, and it wasn't for a whole year. And I was so set on reading that book and walking out of the store with that book that I just hadn't really made peace yet with the fact that I wasn't going to be walking out of the store without that book. And it just stood there, and um, I kind of processed aloud with the cashier. Now, I wasn't complaining. I was just letting off a little steam. <laughs> I was like, darn, I really wanted to read the book. The interview was so good. And I know if I go to the library, there's going to be this mile-long waiting list. I probably won't read it, you know, get, it, get the book for months. And I can't believe it's not coming out in soft cover for, like, a year. Oh, well. So I wasn't exactly proud of my attitude, but... Um, maybe a little dramatic here, but um, still, I said something along those lines. So I went off and browsed in the store, and then it was time to leave. I went to get my um, flowers, and then this is what I saw. I have a picture for you. There, were, there was the book nestled with my flowers. And the cashier came up to me with this huge smile on her face, and she said, someone in the store heard you talking about how much you wanted to, buy, uh, to read this book, and they bought a copy for you. I was like, this d- just never happens to me, by the way. <laughs> what? Someone spent $27 on a novel that I may or may not like. <laughs> and uh, did they leave their name, I asked? And they did not. Um, I wanted, of course, to write them a thank you note or at least find them on Facebook and, like, thank them. But I couldn't. They left me no way of knowing who they are. So I ended up enjoying the book quite a lot. But you know what was the coolest part of this experience? It wasn't actually reading the book. It was every time I picked up the book and I remembered how it came my way. And I had to thank someone, but I couldn't thank the person who gave it to me. And so I thanked God. Um, So this morning... We're going to be continuing in our sermon series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be talking about a spiritual practice that Jesus invites us into in this passage, and which I think this stranger exemplifies really well. It's the spiritual practice of secrecy. So let's read in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret." Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father 
who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Well, just before this chapter, in chapter 5, Jesus tells the disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And here in this passage we just read, he's showing us what that righteousness looks like, that false righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. It's an empty righteousness. And in fact, it's actually a dangerous righteousness. And we know it's dangerous because Jesus says, be careful. And in other translations, the language he uses is stronger. It's, it's um, watch out, take heed, beware. Think about where you see a beware sign. Where do you see a beware sign? Maybe where there's a vicious dog on the premise or high electric voltage nearby. Jesus is saying there's a serious danger here. And if you get too close, you could get hurt. So stay away, stay far away. But what is Jesus specifically asking us to stay away from? That's an important question here because if we're not careful, I think we can very easily misread this passage. And so what I want us to do is start off by looking at three misinterpretations of this passage. First misinterpretation. It's easy to think that this passage is saying, don't ever serve people in ways that could be seen. And if we take that misinterpretation far enough, we can begin to assume that there's actually something inherently wrong with being recognized for doing good. So I just want to stop here right now and say, if you win an award for community service at your school or your workplace, that is not a bad thing. (laughs) If your picture ends up in the newspaper, maybe because you helped to build a house for Habitat for Humanity, or you collected litter on Green Up Day, or you've been volunteering at a local animal shelter. That's not a bad thing. The problem is when we do our good deeds specifically because we want to be invited up to the podium to receive the award, or because we want the thrill of seeing our face in the newspaper, or simply because we want people to like us, and we want people to think highly of us. When our good deeds are prompted by impression management, that's when we get into trouble. Now, Jesus himself performed good deeds in front of people. He multiplied bread and fish in front of thousands who had gathered to hear him on a hillside. He healed people in front of crowds, crowds of believers and skeptics alike. The problem is not that the Pharisees are doing good deeds in public. It's their motivation. And verse 2 gives us a clue. It says specifically that they did these things, quote, to be honored by others. And we know that they did things specifically to be honored by others because they apparently went to great lengths to draw attention to themselves. Jesus accuses them of announcing their good deeds with trumpets. Now, did they actually blow trumpets? There's no historical evidence of that. Um, It's probably hyperbole. Um, But the Pharisees um, were apparently unabashed at the lengths that they went to to draw attention to themselves. And so for Jesus, it's as though... They're blasting trumpets. So to sum up this misinterpretation, Jesus is not saying we should never serve people in public or let people see our good deeds. But he is saying that we need to have a pure heart when we serve, not one that's motivated by attention or praise. Second misinterpretation. It's easy to misread this passage and assume that there's something wrong with praying in public. But we know that there's nothing inherently wrong with praying in a restaurant or at school or 
in a gathering of believers, because that doesn't pass the Jesus test, does it? Did Jesus pray in public? You bet he did. He prayed at the tomb of Lazarus, in front of Lazarus's family and friends. He prayed on that hillside before he multiplied the loaves and the fishes. He prayed from the cross in front of the Roman soldiers who were executing him. We'd have a problem this morning if it was not acceptable to pray in public because we wouldn't be able to have church. The problem that the Pharisees had, and there's one key word here, is that they loved praying at street corners and in synagogues. It's possible, scholars think, that they calculated their day just so that they would happen to be at a very visible street corner at midday prayer. At a certain time of day, midday, when everyone was um, prayed, when it was tradition, you prayed in the morning, the midday, and the evening at a certain time. It's also possible that in the synagogue, they prayed loudly, overly loudly, um, gathering um, attention to themselves. Their prayers weren't really about communicating with God, were they? They were about appearing holy before people. So second misinterpretation, that we're not supposed to pray in public. Third misinterpretation. Um, It's easy to read this passage quickly and just assume that it's a call to altruism, that it's a call to do all of our good deeds and our acts of devotion without any thought of reward. We might read this passage and think, If only I could put to death that little part of me that wants to gain something from giving. If only I were content to give without hope of getting anything in return. Is that what Jesus is calling us to? Not really. If we look more closely, we see that Jesus speaks of reward in this text as something that's actually good. According to this passage, we're actually supposed to want reward. And we see the promise of reward throughout Scripture. For instance, in Proverbs, Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. That's a good thing. We should want that. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. And what is that reward that Jesus is talking about? Well, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story about some sheep and some goats, a familiar story. The sheep represent people who feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit the sick and go into the prisons and visit the prisoners. And they find out on judgment day that every time they did these things in obedience to God's will, they were actually doing them unto God himself. And God honors them. He honors them in front of everybody else. And that's the first part of the reward. God honors them. Secondly, they inherit a kingdom, a kingdom prepared for them since the creation of the world. That's pretty big. And here's, thirdly, another significant part of the reward. It's getting to collaborate with God. It's seeing how he uses our service. It's experiencing his joy in us as we serve. Should we not desire all of those things? C.S. Lewis thinks that we should desire them. I have a quote for you from his book, The Weight of Glory. C.S. Lewis says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures. We're half-hearted creatures, he says. 
I don't know about you, but I tend to agree with Lewis. Most of the time, I think we are half-hearted creatures. The reward that God promises us can sometimes feel dim and distant. We hold it at arm's length, and we only let it partially motivate our actions. <coughs> Excuse me. But what if we weren't half-hearted? What if we deeply and desperately desired what God has promised us? What if we spent time actually thinking about that reward, meditating on it? What if we longed for it with everything we are? I imagine that the praise of people would lose its appeal. And I imagine that we'd begin to understand how hollow popularity is. So we've looked at three misinterpretations of this passage. And before we move on, I want to do a little course correction here because I think it's really important to clarify something. And that is this. A compliment is not a bad thing. We all need compliments. We all need affirmation. I know I need a lot of it. Affirmation by others of what I've done well in my life has helped me to understand my gifts. Compliments and affirmation can help us find our path, identify our spiritual gifts, and even discern direction for our life or our calling. There are also important ways of expressing care and love because compliments and affirmation can bring encouragement. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing for us to desire the natural affirmation that we need, that God created us with a need for, but ultimately, we do need a deeper affirmation. And that's the affirmation that only comes from God. And if we don't learn how to receive God's affirmation, if actually we don't become good at receiving his affirmation every day, we can become fixated on gaining affirmation from others. And here's the thing. The more we live for the attention and affirmation of others, the more we live for the attention and affirmation of others. Does that make sense? It's kind of like a descending spiral. And in the end, God gives us the reward that our heart desires. If our heart desires him, then he will be our rich reward. But if what our heart desires is the hollow praise of others, then their praise alone will be our reward, and it will indeed be hollow. So how do we train our hearts to have pure motivation when it Uh, when we're serving others? How do we learn to do good deeds without caring about whether we're recognized for them or not? Here's Jesus's answer to that question. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Well, what does that mean? I think Jesus is inviting us to be very intentional and very practical about weaning our hearts from the praise of people not to mention also weaning our hearts from our own self-congratulation. And the mechanism for doing that, that he puts forth, is secrecy. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving might be in secret. So that your giving might be in secret. Here's where the spiritual practice of secrecy comes in. The spiritual practice of secrecy is simply this. It's embracing hiddenness. We've talked about Jesus's public ministry this morning, but he also embraced hiddenness. He often told people whom he had healed not to go around and tell other people. 
We read this in Matthew 9, where there are two blind men who follow him and they shout, have mercy on us. And he heals them according to their faith. And then the text says, he told them sternly, he warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. Think about the 30 years between Jesus's birth and his public ministry. We know the story of his birth. We know the story of his public ministry, but we know almost nothing about the years in between. Those are hidden. Sometimes Jesus held his tongue. He didn't always say everything he wanted to say because it simply wasn't in the best interest of his disciples. In John 16, Jesus says, there is so much more I want to tell you. There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. And so he has to leave that work for the Holy Spirit to complete. Christ was hidden in God, and we too are hidden in God. Um, Paul says in the book of Colossians, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So embracing this hiddenness, that's the spiritual practice of secrecy. But what does that look like for us every day in our modern lives? I want to suggest four things that that can look like. And the first thing is very simple, serving someone without bringing attention to yourself. And maybe even serving them without them knowing what we've done or why we've done it. Like, I don't know, shoveling your neighbor's driveway when they're away or anonymously buying a book for someone that they uh, can't afford in a bookstore. Now, you may be thinking, how does that square with, um, a few weeks ago, um, the verses that we looked at, let your light shine before men so that others, or uh, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're not supposed to put a bushel over our light, are we? Well, here's what Dallas Willard, the Christian philosopher, says about that, and I think it's just brilliant. He says, one of the greatest fallacies of Christian faith and one of the greatest acts of unbelief is the thought that spiritual acts and virtues have to be advertised to be known. Secrecy, he says, rightly practiced, enables us to place the public relations department entirely in God's hands. I love that. Let's place the public relations department in God's hands. We allow God to decide when deeds will be known and when light will be noticed. So second way of practicing secrecy could look like refraining from the compulsion to share everything we know. Don't you love it when you're in, I don't know, social setting, you meet somebody new, you, you don't know what the conversation is, how it's going to go, right? You don't know if you share things in common to talk about, and they just happen to bring up something that you know a ton about. It's like maybe the one movie you've watched 11 times, and they just watched it, and you're like, yes, no um, like awkward silences. If, if I have to, I can just like talk about this movie and I'm going to sound really smart while I'm doing it, right? And well, what if instead, instead of taking up all the breath in the room showing what I know about this topic, I hold my tongue and I, I ask about that other person's interest in that topic. Maybe even not even mention that I am passionate about this movie or maybe mention it, but hold off on mentioning it. Jesus held his tongue. Can I hold mine? Thirdly, um, practicing uh, secrecy can look like celebrating the achievements of others without having to talk about our own. That's not very easy sometimes. Now, does that mean that we should never talk about our achievements? Not at all. 
the, the practice of secrecy is a little bit like the practice of fasting, right? It's, it's something we do intentionally for a period of time. It's not something that we live every day in and out of. Um, two years ago, I felt like I was talking about myself way too much in casual conversation. Like I was just turning every conversation into something like I knew about or, or about me. And I, I didn't like that, but I didn't really know how to change that. Well, Lent was coming up, the 40 days that lead up to, that start on Ash Wednesday and that lead up to Easter, a time in the church calendar when traditionally uh, Christians have chosen to give something up or to, to practice some form of, of self-denial. And I decided I was going to try to give up talking about myself. <laughs> um, now, the caveat was that I, I, I was, if someone asked about myself, I was going to talk, I was going to share about myself. And of course, I was going to talk about myself to my close friends and my family, but in casual conversation. I was going to do everything I could not to turn every conversation into a conversation about myself. It was really hard. <laughs> I think I was only about 60% successful. But this exercise helped me to grow a great deal in my ability to prefer other people above myself. And this is a reminder that all of what I'm talking about this morning is something that I, too, am learning. It's not something that I've mastered. Uh, last um, thing, uh, last way of um, engaging the spiritual practice of secrecy that I want to mention this morning is confidentiality. Being a safe place for others to share their secrets. Are you someone who can hold another person's story without sharing it? Can people trust you with a prayer request and know that you won't divulge it? Here at Church of the Well, we value confidentiality. There are three of us pastors on staff, but that doesn't mean that if you share something sensitive with one of us that we all know about it. And likewise, the um, prayer ministers that you might come up to and ask for prayer from and who might pray with you, uh, what you share with them is between you and them and God. Now, there's just one caveat that I want to make there, and that is that if you were to share something um, that suggested a likelihood of abuse, or if you were in danger, or there was self-harm, the prayer ministers are mandated to share that with the staff. And and as staff, if there's abuse, uh, we are mandated to share that with the state. But beyond that, confidentiality is something that we highly value. So speaking of prayer, I want us to to go back and look a little more at secrecy in prayer because we've mostly focused this morning on secrecy in service and serving others. Jesus practiced secrecy in prayer. He went up to the hills early in the morning to pray, to be alone with his father. Sometimes no one actually knew where he was. They'd be looking for him. Jesus says to us, when you go to pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Now, the word here for room in the original language actually means storeroom or store closet. Well, in ancient Israel, the storeroom or the store closet was typically at the center of the house where you kept your valuables, your food. Um, It was small. It was often the only door with a lock on it, and it usually didn't have any windows. Do you get Jesus's point? It was private and out of the way, and no one would see you there, and probably no one would even suspect you there. It was just you and God. Why is secrecy in prayer so important? I think because it serves as an antidote to spiritual pride, I don't know too many people who 
are guilty of being like the Pharisees and going out and hanging out on street corners and praying there so that people will see them. Um, I know, however, that uh, sometimes we can take pride in the fact that we attend church regularly. Not everyone does. Maybe we take pride in the fact that we know our Bibles better than the person sitting next to us. Or maybe we don't know our Bibles better than the person sitting next to us, but we want them to think we do. And when we talk about God, we want people to think that we have it all together. And so we go out of our way to sound sophisticated or use all the right words. When we do this, we can all too easily become spiritual actors or what Jesus calls hypocrites. Now, did you know that the word hypocrite in Greek is actually the word for actor? And in Greek theater, the actors would wear masks. We too can put on a mask and give an impression of being something that we're not. And it might even get us some attention. And it might even get us some social standing. But this way of thinking is insidious because it gets into our hearts and it can really mess with us. Now, at first, it's just a little show that we put on, but then we actually begin to think that we are what our mask has been portraying, that we are somehow more sophisticated or superior because of how we worship or how we pray or how we talk about God. That's truly dangerous. So practicing secrecy in prayer protects us from becoming hypocrites like the Pharisees. But here's the real fruit, I think, of secrecy and prayer. And here's what I want to end with. The real fruit of secrecy and prayer, it's intimacy with God. What is the most beautiful part of the passage that we just looked at? Isn't it the part where the person who's chosen to serve in secret gets seen by God? And where the person who's chosen to pray in secret gets noticed by their creator? Have you ever had a moment where you realize that even though no one around you seems to be recognizing your generous gift of time and talent, the maker of the universe hasn't missed a single gesture of your kindness or of your quiet acts of service? Do you know what it's like to be on your knees praying for God to move on behalf of yourself or on behalf of others, and you suddenly realize that the God who created you is actually listening to you? that he actually sees you, and that he can't take his eyes off you? The Catholic priest and writer Henry Nouwen says that intimacy with God is a little bit like keeping a hearth fire going in a cottage, a small cottage. And when you close the door, the fire warms the cottage. It warms the room. But when you open the door, the heat escapes, and slowly the whole cottage cools down. Have we learned to go into our storeroom, our prayer closet, close the door, close the door on distractions and be alone with God to be warmed by the fire of his presence? Have we learned to close the door on work? Have we learned to close the door on socializing in order to be intimate with God? That's intimacy with God. That's secrecy in prayer. I want to actually... hand out, um, and I'm going to actually ask if there would be maybe two or three volunteers who might come up and, and, and pass these out. Brent, would you mind helping out with this side? Thanks. Um, I want to hand out to you. Thank you, Karen. Um, 
a little handout that is a short synopsis of the spiritual um, practice of secrecy. And it's has a list of a few ways that this can be practiced, most of which we've just talked about, but I've covered a lot of territory here. And I want to send you home with this and invite you to see if God might be inviting you to engage one of these practices for a time, maybe just for a day or maybe a week or a season. And I wonder if he is inviting you to engage one of those practices, if you were to engage that practice, how he will use it. So Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for inviting us to meet with you in the quiet. We thank you for your hiddenness, your humility. We thank you for loving us out of that humility, speaking what we can receive and not more, giving us what we can receive, Lord, and not more. Lord, I pray that you would be at work inviting each one of us into that place of hiddenness in Christ where we are affirmed by the love of God and we don't have to look for the affirmation of others though it is given and we receive it. Lord, we want more than anything the affirmation that comes from you. We want more than anything the reward, Lord, that you promise that reward which is good, not the hollow reward of the praise of people, but the reward of being honored by God, of being invited into the kingdom and inheriting it, and the reward of collaborating with you. And so, Lord, I pray for our weeks, Lord. I pray for the work that you're doing in us this week, that you would give us the faith, Lord, to follow you and... um, to uh, let our light shine, um, but let you be the one who um, is our public relations department, Lord. We just trust you for how you're using us. You have called us to be instruments. uh, And we just acknowledge that we actually don't even know how to do that sometimes, Lord, but you are able to use us in your hand. And so we submit to you, Lord, and we look for what you will do in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.